Awesome. It is great to be here with you today. My name is David Miller. Um, I, I actually, uh, I need to let you in on a little something. This is a bit of, of a homecoming for me. It feels a bit like a homecoming for me, and, and I'll tell you why. Um, I don't know how Larry did this, but in 2015, he convinced me to come up and do some work with Northgate on Valentine's Day. Now, some of you, maybe that doesn't feel like a big deal. Like that conversation with my wife was super awkward. Hey, love ya. I gotta go up to uh, San Francisco area. I gotta be up there to help a church out and to work with the church. And uh, it's gonna be on Valentine's Day. Is that okay? And you know, it's like a bad thing when, you, like, when your voice goes up at the end. It's like, Is that okay? Like th- that's when you know that you're asking something that you should not be asking. But for some reason, I did. And since 2015, uh, Larry and I have been friends. I've had the chance to do so much uh, work with this church. It's been a rad experience. The things that you guys are doing here in this city and up in Benicia, the things that you guys are doing are incredible. In fact, that's, that's why I'm here now. It's because I just wanted to get a taste of it and sit with you guys and understand a little bit of what's happening here. And so I, I'm ecstatic to be a part of this service with you. Super fun. I am from Long Beach, California. Uh, I have um, three kids. Uh, I, I, you know what? Um, I, and we didn't get a chance. I didn't get a chance to, to, to meet because you came partway through like a conversation we were having about the kids when we were backstage. Did you know that your bass player is from a, a family? They had 12 kids in their family. I, I, hadn't, I was just like, wow, that, you win. Nothing I say from here will win that moment. It was, it was amazing. I have three kids and I'm exhausted. Like just Honestly, if we can just confess for a moment, three kids exhausted. My wife and I, we did, uh, we, we adopted through foster care. So we have uh, two boys. We actually got those three kids in two years. Beat that bass player. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what you got? See what I'm saying? Exhausted though, right? There's something about uh, when, I, when I look at my family, they are, for me, they are equal parts um, unbelievable blessing, can't believe I get to do this, this is the most fun I've ever had, and oh my gosh, what were we thinking all at the same time? Maybe you can relate to that. In fact, I, I just, I just want to sit and, and, and give you a little bit of, of, of my recent story. Um, recently, our family has been through some crazy stuff. We've been through crazy stuff, crazy things with birth families who we love desperately. They're a part of our extended family. Crazy things with, um, with like my mom died just a few months ago. Like I've been going to the doctor and, and here's the deal. I don't talk about this a lot, but I feel we're connected already. So I think this is good. Um, I, like I've been to the doctor. See this thing with like my hand? That's new. That's brand new. Like there are things happening in health, things happening in jobs, things happening with friends. Things are happening in our life right now that it feels like it is absolutely out of control. Have you ever felt that way before? Has your life ever felt like no matter what you do, no matter how hard you're working, everything you're giving, it just doesn't feel like enough? Life is coming at you so fast and so much intensity. You feel overwhelmed. Do you resonate with that? You know, I, I, I get a chance to, to hang out with a lot of different churches. Um, 
in my job. I, I, I work and I coach and, and do different things with churches across the country. And, and every time I ask that question, I, I haven't any, had anyone come up to me yet and be like, I had no idea what you were talking about. Everything's going super smooth for us. There's seasons, right? I've had seasons where things went incredible. I've had seasons like I'm in now where it just feels like chaos. Well, there, there's, this, um, there's this passage that I want to camp in with you today. I want to spend some time. We're just going to go through a little bit of Romans 8. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and like start opening up there. I know there are some uh, in front of you in the pews. There'll be uh, words up on the screens, but if you want to read along, you can do that. And this is something that I go back to often. Again, when, when Larry asked me to come and talk, I, I was thinking about it for a little while, and I was like, you know what? Um, instead of teaching what I think everyone else needs to hear, I'm, I'm just going to come up and teach what I know I need to hear, and, and hopefully I'm not alone. So uh, if you're there, Romans 8, I'm going to start in verse 31. So verse 31 says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Okay. I love how Paul opens this letter. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, who can be against you? It says no one. In this short sentence, Paul reminds the reader of this letter that they will go through tough times, and yet we serve a God who is for us. Now, again, I don't know many of you. I got a chance to talk to a lot of you in the lobby. I don't know all of your stories. I don't know what your last week has been like, two weeks, last six months. But I would venture to say that together, collectively, we understand struggle and hardships. And maybe your list looks different than the list that Paul put out there. I'm not sure if many of us are uh, facing the sword these days. But if you are, let's hang out because you live a fascinating life. Maybe your, maybe your list, maybe it has something to do with your job the one you have or the one you need. Maybe it has something to do with your health or your family or a relationship that once was incredible, but now it seems to be on the rocks. Whatever it is, as you think about your life and your hardships, I want you to just keep that picture in your mind because in this passage, who is, when God is for us, who can be against us? I think Paul, I think Paul puts this list right here in this letter to show us that we're not alone when things are hard. 
In fact, uh, this list, if you were to to stop for a minute and, and learn a little bit more about Paul's life, you would understand that every single thing he mentions, he had personally experienced. Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and the sword, every one of them is a part of his story. And yet he writes this letter of hope to all of us. Isn't that fascinating? In the midst of our troubles, we know what it feels like to be hopeless, but we were reminded every, I mean, this entire set, I loved it, the entire worship set that we all were just exclaiming with our voices and crying out the words were all songs of hope, that in the midst of what's happening in our lives, that there is hope. We sing those songs, we hear those messages, we read those books. I think that cognitively we understand that even though we are Christ followers, our life is not going to be perfect. I think we know that, but I don't think we know that here. Because I talk to people all the time that are going through difficult things and their questions are, why would God allow it? And what is happening in my life? And why would I be in the middle of this? You see, everyone who had read this letter in Rome in that time, everyone who was reading it, if they had a child who was blind, they would be led to believe that it was because they had sin in their life and it was their fault. If they lost a job or if a deal had gone wrong or if they'd been conquered by another people group, they would be convinced that it was their fault. I know that we don't do that up here, but we do that down here. And maybe if I just like believed more, maybe better things would happen in my life. Maybe if I I tried harder to love Jesus more, I didn't make that mistake. These things wouldn't be happening in my life. I need you to understand Becoming a Christ follower, that giving your life over, that it doesn't fix everything. We want it to. But the moment that you do that, it does not take away all of the troubles of your life. But here's what it does do it shifts your perspective. When we allow it to, this life that we've been invited into, it shifts. Our perspective. Paul, Paul, after this list, he, he walks a little bit further into it as to what he invites us into. He shows us this as he quotes this, this famous passage in Psalm 44. So verse 36 says this, As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep being led to the slaughter. You ever felt like a sheep being led to the slaughter? Like what's, the, what's he talking about? This unknowing, no matter what you're doing, just wandering through life. You ever felt like you were just wandering through life, just trying to, to get through the day? A sheep being led to slaughter. You ever feel like your life was out of control? That sheep doesn't get to go where it wants. It is being led there. Paul doesn't leave us there. We continue to read in verse 37. And actually, verse 37 is where I want to sit with us. Verse 37 is where Paul gives us a glimpse, truly, of what we're invited into. He says, no. Right after he says, lambs being led to a slaughter, he says, no. 
In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Did you catch that? I'll read it again. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In, in, all, of, in all of these things, that's what he says, right? In the midst of all of the difficulty and all of the garbage and all of the hardship, in the midst of all of these things, we are what? More than conquerors. That's incredible. And I have to be honest with you, I don't live in that enough. A lot of times I live in this whole thing, like in all these things, things will be fine. In all of these things, everything really sucks. In all of these things, I guess I'll try harder. No, no. In all of these things, you will be more than conquerors. That word conquerors is an incredible word, especially for the audience he was speaking to in the moment. Let's pretend, I love doing this with my kids, so we're going to do it together. Let's pretend that we are all sitting and we are in the church in Rome. And this letter of Paul's is being read over us because that's what would have happened. The church in Rome, they knew what it felt like to conquer. Rome? Rome knew what it was like to win. Rome took so much land and so many people. They were conquerors by every definition. Rome. This word being in this letter is fascinating because of that. In fact, in Rome, the city of Rome, there were special gates that only the conquerors could walk in through. Only. Oh, you're walking through those gates? You must have conquered something. Oh, yeah? Like, get out of here. You're not allowed in that gate. Conquerors only. And every single time that someone would come through, the city would erupt. New land for us, more territory, more power. Those people are our people now. Rome, they knew what it was like to conquer. I don't think we're that different. I think that in this room, that that you have an understanding of what it means to conquer, to win. You see, our conquerors today, they're a little different than maybe the conquerors of Rome. Our conquerors today are the innovators, the ones who could draw a crowd, the beautiful people, the ones that can dunk a ball. Our conquerors are the ones who can draw a crowd, who make the money. Our conquerors have have taken over our social media feeds. Our conquerors are everywhere, and we know what it's like to be around conquerors, to be around winners. In fact, I remember growing up, I remember that my dad, okay, this is not like some stranger, okay? My dad used to tell me that second place was the first loser, son. Second, don't get second, second place, first loser. Don't celebrate that. We understand that, that in our culture, that losing is unacceptable. We've made it that way. We will do anything to win. Did you notice that I left something out? Here's here's what's 
really, really beautiful about that particular verse. In that particular verse, he does not say that we will become conquerors, does he? Paul does not say that you will become conquerors through him who loved you. He doesn't say that. No. In verse 37, he says, no, you will become what? More than conquerors. Whoa. That's fascinating. How do you more than conquer something? How do you become more than the best? I am more than the winner. How? How do you do that? Is it actually possible, or is Paul a nut job? He is a nut job, but for this verse particular, the craziness of that statement, you will be more than conquerors. What does it mean? There's this um, passage of time right after Easter, so right after the resurrection. Now, again, churches, we've gotten really good at this. We've gotten incredibly good at at celebrating Christmas and Easter. And then now, like, like Ash Wednesday is coming back in vogue. Like, that's a cool thing now. So you'll see, like, everyone's doing it. And it's, it's incredible. We celebrate those two things well. There's this passage of time from Easter, the resurrection, that moves all the way into the day of Pentecost that I have become fascinated with. And I believe that, that in this period of time, that Jesus gives us an incredible example of what it means to be not a conqueror, but more than a conqueror. And so uh, this period of time, historically, it is called Easter tide. And I have to be true. I graduated like, with, a, with a degree in Bible, and I, had, and I wrote a 50-page paper on the canonization of the New Testament, and I had never heard of Eastertide. So don't feel bad if that's you. The season of Eastertide, these 50 days, they believed that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to conquer everything. You can imagine what it was like when they saw him on a cross. The Israelites, had, they knew what it was like not to conquer, but to be conquered. They believed fully that the Messiah was going to come and set them free, break the chains. And they put him in a tomb. Rolled a stone in front of it. Man. Could you imagine... Do you imagine being part of that early movement? See, we're, we get to cheat. We know the end of the story, right? For these followers, nah, no, man, they, many of them went back to where they were before. They, 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 they pretended they didn't even know who Jesus was. They, they, they locked themselves in rooms so that no one could find them. And again, when I first read this, I'm like, what a punk. Like, Jesus, right? And you're going to lock yourself in a room? But then that's because I'm cheating. I know the end. We know that three days later, he rises from the grave. And in this 50 this 50-day period of Eastertide, he could have raised up an army, rode into the city. He could have dashed 
the leaders that were there, the powers that were. He could have done so many things. I mean, imagine being on the other side of that. Like, whoa, didn't we just kill you, dude? Okay, you win, right? Like, he could have conquered. In every sense of the word, he could have conquered. It's not what he does. In those 50 days, he goes and he encourages his followers. He finds Peter. Peter, who denied him, swore he wouldn't, denies him. Where does he find Peter? He finds Peter back where he found him the first time, back on a fishing boat. That dude followed Jesus for a couple years and went back home. Thought it was over. We lost. Better go back, make some cash. We see that he finds Thomas. We know Thomas as doubting Thomas. Thomas has all of these people coming to him, telling him about the experiences they had with the risen Jesus. And Thomas says, nah, the only way I'm going to believe it is if I can see and touch his wounds for myself. So Jesus meets him in a locked room, mind you, and says, all right, dude. Touch. Thomas believes. He raises up these leaders of the faith to do incredible things in the New Testament church. Paul, on which the, you are the rock on which I will build my church. It's incredible. The dude was fishing. And yet, Jesus, in those moments, he shows us He says, you thought you were done. You thought the story was over. You thought all of these hardships and all of the negativity and all of the war and all of the things that were happening in your life, you thought that was the end, but I'm not done yet. There's more to come. I'm not done with you yet. Get off that fishing boat. We got things to do. Jesus models This idea of being more than a conqueror by avoiding the world's definition of conquering altogether. And one of the largest movements in human history comes and no sword is raised. The way that we view conquering has to be shifted. Our understanding today of what it means to conquer has to be shifted. We need to understand when difficult things happen in your life, and they will, that in the midst of the hardest seasons that you may ever experience, that you serve a God who loves you so much that he refuses to leave you alone. In fact, he loves you so much that he sends his son to die in your place to have relationship with you. What? In the midst of all of the turmoil, we have a God who is for us. And because of that, we are more than conquerors. Do you hear me? What I want you to do is I want you to, 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 think, about, to think about your coming week. I want you to think about the things that are on the way. I want you to think about that doctor's appointment, to think about that family member, that job interview, that disciplinary time. I want you to understand that in the midst of that, 
you are not alone, that God is for you, and because of that, who can be against you? Let's pray together. Father, I'm thankful for each of the people in this room, for our opportunity to sing songs about your power and to live in the midst of that here today. God, I pray that we take that with us everywhere we go, that in our jobs, in our families, in our, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, that we walk in the confidence and in the peace that we serve a God who is for us. God, be with the Bethel campus of Northgate. Allow this building and these people to be beacons of light that shine everywhere and take a city that needs you desperately and shows what it means to truly love you and love you well. Bring us out of our past places. Bring us out of our locked rooms. We praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, David. Thank you so much.